All right, superhumans. It is the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States, my favorite holiday of the year. And today, I want to say that I am grateful not only for you guys listening, because you are all epic, but I am eternally grateful for the family that I grew up in. My mother and father are incredible people. They did an incredible job of both raising myself and my brother. And today, I wanted to do something special, really because it's Thanksgiving. My father, Doug Anderson more affectionately known as Diddy, is on the show with me today to discuss the idea of family and how he was able to put family first, even as a senior vice president of operations at a mutual fund. He was always there for us. And I wanted to click record on this conversation because I was trying to figure out how he pulled it off because we're all under this time constraint, but he managed to figure it out. So this one's special, and the show notes are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Diddy, but enjoy my conversation with my father, the barbecue champion, the executive, the now-retired Doug Anderson. Diddy. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. Gee, thank you very much, Boo Man. <laughs> the warm welcome. All right, this is the first time I'm doing this on the podcast, as you know, because it's the first time I'm bringing anyone from the family on the podcast. But we're here in lovely Asheville, North Carolina, so why the hell not? Can't think of a better place. There's always been a few questions that I've wanted to understand, especially as I enter into this potential season of life where I may have kids in the future. But since we have a number of different people listening to this who have families and are really struggling with the idea of balancing work, life, and all of that stuff, why don't we passport back to way back when we can either look at Chicago or moving to Kansas City or moving to Philadelphia, any one of those. Any of those. How did you and mom kind of arrive at the decision to move and how did you look at it from like a a child development perspective? Okay. Well, if I look at, since you all were born in Chicago. Dub bears. (laughs) Yeah, we got that one. But um, since, since we're all around the Chicago area, it was kind of like, okay, what else can we do? So what I looked at, when opportunities arose in the industry was, is there a better place to raise a family? It sounds kind of like really, are there really that many better places? In some cases there are Mm -hmm. Kansas city was a wonderful place to get you guys in started in school and doing all of those things. And what could be better than example, going to a chiefs game, What a magnificent thing to do. Yeah, season tickets to the Chiefs. That was amazing. Family friendly. You know, you could go up, you could be in the stands. We had people around us by our seats that were so much younger than we were. And you guys were just little tykes. Yeah. And you know what? The guys around us, language got a little rough sometimes. Mm. They would tell everybody else to shut up. 
and and just did it. So you know, had to buy them some brewskis every once in a while. They would bring M and M's for you guys to eat. Oh, that was it back was in the day when I ate M and M's. Well, that's true. Now they're like poisonous to you. I think. Yeah, I think. But um, you know, those are the kind of things that that we really got together and enjoyed, and that that was a part of Kansas City life that was incredible. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Philadelphia then, because Philadelphia has some notorious sports fans, right? Throwing ice balls at Santa. And we were a little bit older. I think Bill was younger than me, but like we were a little bit older then. How did that look in terms of that move? Because I know from a career perspective, it was a great move for you. Yeah. But how did you kind of like, because child development, I guess, is something that comes up when you have kids. Well, the, the thing is, is about Philadelphia, it was diversification. Yeah. I mean, when we moved there, it was much different than Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Back to it was much different than Chicago was too, even though you're pretty young for Chicago. Mm-hmm. But trying to find the right fit, we found the right town to move to. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing. Quite media. Yeah. Um, could you get a, a more common name? Than yeah, media? Exactly. I mean, what, <laughs> I, I but the town was really good. Yeah. I mean, it was diversified, it, it was good, had decent schools. Always a priority was schools. How good were they? And it was the first place that I can say we went to where people actually looked at, do my kids go to, what high school do my kids go to? Mm -hmm. I grew up all over the country. Yeah, I never had a choice of high schools. Can we just, because people haven't heard your story on the show, give us a sample of where you grew up because- I don't even think I got the full list of it. <laughs> I can do it pretty quick because okay. it's it's Michigan, California, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, Kansas, Missouri, um, Illinois. Uh, where else? So, no, well, this now is all I'm, because now Gran- we're in North Carolina. Yeah, and this is all because Grandpa worked for an auto. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my my dad was, believe it or not, an accountant. Yeah. But he was a troubleshooting guy. Mm -hmm. So he used to fix things. Ooh. This sounds familiar. And he worked for a major automotive firm Mm -hmm. back in the 60s that had a lot of problems. Yeah. And so we moved constantly. And the longest I ever lived in any single house growing up was five years. And that was once. Wow. So it's usually, I think we average moving to another home every two to three years. Yeah. We were doing that. So got pretty flexible at making friends. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, and, you know, people say, isn't that hard? Not really when it was the only thing you knew. I mean, you just had to, you had to deal with it. So step up to the plate and play. Well, it's funny because you just said being flexible with making friends. And I think that is one thing that when we moved from Chicago to Kansas City, albeit that was very young, but Kansas City, Philadelphia, you had to be very flexible in making friends. And that's something that's kind of stuck and, and we're, we could get into competition barbecue here too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, kind of stuck with, with, with me in terms of making friends in different cultures. And it was just interesting to hear how you went through Philadelphia in that way. Why don't we talk about the competition barbecue? Why not? Like, why not? Okay. So that was a Kansas city thing. (laughs) Yeah. So when did the competition barbecue come into play? Because I, I tell people this all the time and 
they just say like, hey, I didn't even know competition barbecue existed. Some people still don't. Yeah. It's on TV all the time. <laughs> it is. It is. Particularly if in the U.S. But how did you get into competition barbecue? Uh, believe it or not, uh, smoking some ribs on a very tiny smoker mm-hmm. on my back porch, drinking beer with a newfound friend from Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. And he came by and we were having some ribs and drinking some beers and having a good time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he goes, I want you to be on my competition team. And I said, what's that? Never heard of it before. So he kind of explained to me what it was, and we did a few competitions after that. Uh, and we put together a group of people from our neighborhood, and which was really nice from that standpoint because everybody was very friendly. So, I mean, we would be out on driveways and, you know, middle streets and doing stuff like that and barbecuing some great things. And pretty soon we gathered together. I think it was probably about eight guys. Mm-hmm. And it basically was... I shouldn't say eight guys. It was eight families because we always included everybody in the families in those things because it made them more fun. And so we, we just kind of played with that. Practice sessions were kind of constant. You know, who's got the best sauce? Who's got the new smoking method for this? Who's got this? Who's got that? Um, and who was willing to spend some money? Yeah. <laughs> and that was always a, a treat because barbecue, competition barbecue is not a cheap sport. <laughs> it it didn't seem like it. And based on some of the bills that I've seen in the past, I certainly know it's not. Now, you went from participant to leader in a way in this field. Uh, I guess you want to call it that. I, or within I don't know. the I team. Never, yeah. What made you just say like, hey, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and learn this shit? Well, I don't think I, I don't think I ever did anything quite that dramatic. Mm -hmm. It was more or less of, I would practice. I would make comments on things. I'd say, Hey, I think we need to do this. I think we need to do that. Um, So I was always looking for other things like that, but I wasn't the only one that was doing it. Mm -hmm. So there were other members of the team doing, doing the same things. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, maybe I was a little more vocal than others. Um, I can I imagine yeah. Doug Anderson afraid to <laughs> speak afraid, his mind. Not afraid to speak. No. Yeah. And that's an interesting family trait there. That's for sure. Uh, so barbecue competitions, just for people who are unaware of what they are, can just walk people through what you actually get judged on. And we can use KCBS as an example. All right. Well, KCBS, for all of you out there that have no idea what that term means, <laughs> it's Kansas City Barbecue Society. Mm-hmm. It's It's the largest barbecue association uh in in the u.s and probably even in the world yeah um but it was it was put together uh by a bunch of people in kansas city that's why it's called kansas city barbecue society and they they think they're the aura of barbecue the mecca if you will uh yeah they're they're, they think they're at the top of the mountain and quite frankly they're pretty damn good too Mm -hmm. But Memphis debates that, uh, you know, other other places around all debate that. Mm-hmm. And and guess what? They all have got great barbecue. Just a question of what you like. Mm-hmm. Then you have to deal with when I guess we'll talk about Kansas City Barbecue Society because there's really four categories you get entered into. Yeah. And it's all blind judging. Mm-hmm. So you put your product that you come up with in a styrofoam box, close the lid and send it in. And it has a number on it 
on the bottom so that the judges can't see where it's coming from. They mix it all up and do all those things. And then it's all blind tasting. Mm-hmm. So they, they let six judges at a time uh, sample a team's product. And they judge it uh, on a scale of one through nine, nine being the highest score you can get. Mm-hmm. One being, you might as well have just thrown that thing out, whatever it you was. You shouldn't because, have submitted. Yeah, and, and any judge that gives a one or a two, it better be like burnt or poisonous or something yeah. because that is not fair at all. Because yeah. guess what? It's a lot of work doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're up in the day all night long tending to barbecues and all that kind of stuff. Now we all have electronics and other things that help us with that. Yeah, so this is pre-internet of things, devices oh, that would yeah. allow you to to really walk away but and set it and forget it using that Ron Popeil phrase. But uh, this is pre-internet. I just remembered like staying up all night and sometimes failing to stay up all night and letting fire. Yeah, I remember yelling out. at you one time for falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, this is just... It is fascinating to me. And so they judge you on taste, tenderness, and appearance. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And taste is doubled in terms of the score? Uh, yes. Is that still the way that they do Yeah, it? the taste score is doubled, yeah. Okay. And so as you were kind of, just to give some people some insight here, you're when you're developing and testing your different sauces and everything, you, I, I mean, I remember notebooks. And these mm-hmm. kind of things. So uh, have a lot of those too. <laughs> yeah. So notebooks. And, and so the idea of just sort of sampling, and this is why I never go to barbecue restaurants anymore. Um, also because it's not the healthiest thing to eat. Uh, but also well, I would debate that with you, but <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, the measurement, the aspect of measurement and how you used it to improve you were documenting pretty much everything. I remember schedules. Do I yeah. have that right? Oh, I, yeah. Still have a bunch of those, but um, you know they're all in various forms now of Excel and other things like that. But um, it was really a kind of, I will say, my family, meaning you and your brother and your mother, were kind of the experiment in terror, so to speak. Every Saturday for months on end, maybe even might've been years. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I would do ribs three different ways Mm -hmm. because I was bound and determined to have ribs perfection. And you were the only kids that we would have when all of our friends got together, whatever it is that had no desire to ever eat ribs again (laughs) (laughs) because they thought they were force fed. Mm -hmm. Um, some people would say that was a nice problem to have. Yeah. Um, but you know, others were, yeah, it was a little bit of an extreme, but that's just the way it goes. I mean, if you think you had it bad, your poor mother used to have to taste tenderize everything. I can imagine. So, and sometimes it took years to perfect something Mm -hmm. to see if you were any good. I mean, ribs, I think I finally got a ribbon in ribs after about five or six years. Mm -hmm. And so ribbons being anything 10th place or, higher um yeah or depend on the context sometimes you got hardware sometimes uh you know you got ribbons whatever it was i mean after a while when you've been doing this for a while i just say give me a check Mm -hmm. just give me a check for the winnings that's all because i don't care about that i spent so much money already i need to recoup something (laughs) so that that's why i say if anybody thinks barbecuing is you know you take your weber out there and do something and no if you walk around a barbecue contest and see what kind of equipment is out there and what people do, some of it homemade works great. Mm-hmm. Some of it 
very extravagant, insulated steels, all sorts of other things with it. Um, things that talk to the internet now and do all those things. We have all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the artificial intelligence powered barbecue machine, but we'll, uh, We'll see when it's that. getting closer. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we're on a race to the singularity and I'm sure somebody will come up with that uh, very soon. Let's talk. We're going to go from barbecue now to, to sports because one of the mm -hmm. things that. Well, I will tell you the one thing everybody goes, well, if you can't make any money in barbecue, why do you keep doing it? The one reason I do it. And, and I probably say the main reason is one, you, yes, you do get to cook some great food, but two, the people that do competition barbecue mm -hmm. are incredible. Yeah. They are some of the nicest people in the world. We'll do anything for you. And guess what? We all have a blast when we, when we go to the barbecue contests. Mm -hmm. It's not just to win, even though that's probably the main one. But, um, you know, I don't want to walk into a barbecue contest and say, oh, I'll, I'll be happy with fifth place. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm happy when I win. But And, and we, you know, going back to that, I guess this is kind of diversity in some sense, state diversity, certainly, but going, growing up in this environment where we were essentially spending half the summer in sports, half the summer in barbecue and going and really learning how to have adult conversations very early on has, or just participating in adult conversations has definitely served. I know me and I can certainly probably step on bill here and say that it probably helped him as well uh definitely all right let's let's go to sports because okay. you were a magician at this and i can't <laughs> i can't figure it out because time is one of those things that we can't create more of and i can't figure out how certain people well i can't figure out how certain people create time but as you and add more variables into life time becomes less and less. One of those things can be children and they certainly take a lot of time. You had a very successful career and you were still able to make sporting events. How? You want to talk about resilience. You want to talk about energy. You want to talk about upgrading yourself. Well, first you got to sleep well, you got to eat well, you got to sun well, and you got to exercise well. But assuming you have all of those things in place and you want to kick it up a few notches, if you want to go to 120, well, nootropics may be an option for you. And you guys know that I've been a fan of Neurohacker Collective for a very long time now. I was an early adopter of the original stack. I still keep some stocked, by the way. I use Qualiamine caffeine-free when I'm traveling and... They've come out with some really amazing new products. You can check out Eternus for cellular optimization, but also their energy drink. And since it's the holiday season, you may want to head over to neurohacker.com and use the code BOOMER for a discount, but I'm sure they're going to be running some discounts given the holidays. Give us the magic sauce. All right. Well, some of the magic sauce had to be how I was brought up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... One of those things was, is my father was, he was a workaholic too. And that's just kind of, that's, it's in our genes to do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, he, I think he made one of my football games when I was growing up, you know, and that was it. Um, I could be off on that a little bit, but not by much. Mm -hmm. So it was, it made, I made it a priority. I said, I won't be like that. I want to watch you guys play. Plus 
you guys are pretty respectable at the sport you played in. So it was made it kind of fun. Um, and then, you know, you get together with the parents there and everything else and you have a good time. But how did I make that happen all the time? I was lucky enough where I was kind of high enough in the process of the companies I worked for that I could select the people in my groups mm -hmm. and everybody had families and we always made it a priority so that it couldn't be just me. It had to be everyone. If you had somebody that they had a dance recital, if they had a sporting event or whatever it is, and you really wanted to be there, we made it happen. It's like somebody would cover the desk, somebody would cover the phones, what, whatever it took, we made it happen so that people could do that because we thought it was really important to do that. Um, and family life is, you know, family is first. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel that way, well, then don't have a family. You don't have a <laughs> fair point. Uh, so culturally, this is interesting because the family is first aspect does not uh, really that value doesn't spread across finance. Um, particular, and you're in a mm -hmm. part of finance that I never wanted to be a part of, <laughs> <laughs> but operations. Yeah. Uh, but was that a tactical decision on your part or was that from, you know, was that already in the organization when you joined? Um, I think it probably got boosted quite a bit while mm -hmm. I was there. Cause I made it a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what? You attracted good people for that too. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to attract the talent to do the job the best you possibly can, then you make that world happen. Mm -hmm. And then people don't complain that, you know, they had to work overtime because nobody else was there. Those guys, they don't, nobody complains about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they'll get their opportunity to do that too. Uh, and you just had one, you better make sure they get that opportunity. That's of for course. Sure. But, of course. It's fascinating here. Let's talk about characteristics that, because you've had, by all means, and multiple people have told me this, a pretty successful career. And what would you say, you, you'll probably never admit that, but what would you say has kind of contributed to success? Um, probably just some real common things. Um, we have a tendency to make things too hard. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell people I worked with and, and, and others that don't make it hard. If you can't understand it or somebody else can't understand it, what good is it going to do? Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything. So make it so that everybody understands what it is. Um, use common sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing here because there's some what we call diddyisms almost uh, that are coming up right now. Yeah. Well, but, and, and the old phrase, which a lot of people use it, common sense just isn't practiced anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and they're right. It's not. And people make things too hard. And you know what? People need to have the ability to listen. And that's the one thing that gets forgotten. It's like, if you don't listen, not just to the words that are coming out, but how they're being said, when you can do that, you understand that person much better and you can work on if they have a problem, how to fix it, or what direction does the organization need to go into? Because that makes perfect sense mm -hmm. because they're, they're on the ground floor. They hear it, they see it, they do it. 
So that combined with common sense, you know, it's not so bad. Um, so, so we're at simplicity, common sense. I have one that comes to mind that you kind of instilled in us, and that was discipline. Well, that's true. <laughs> that and dedicate. Well, discipline and dedication. Um, you know, if you don't want to be there, get out of the way. You know, if you want to be there to help and do the th- the right things for the people around you and who you're working with, then that's great. Then you're part of a team, you know, and you can do the silly isms of together each achieves more and all those kind of things. Well, you know, uh, nobody does all of this by themselves. Mm-hmm. They have to have a team of people to do that. You got you to be good at selecting people. And in the long run, sometimes, you know, it's all batting average. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't have a good batting average, you're probably not doing too good. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's just the way that life is. So uh, this, is, uh, this is fantastic. Diddy, thank you for making the time to come on. This is Boomer Anderson signing off with my father, the man. Love you, Dad. Love you, too, bud. See you. Bye. Bye.